0: If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, it is our um, habit, custom to take the Word of God and just read it, explain it. We have been moving through this book of John for some time now. And uh, we have gotten into the section of the, the last really few days of Christ's life before He is put on the cross and John puts a lot of emphasis on that in his, in his book. Uh, several chapters, I think about five chapters. And so we'll be dealing with those as we focus upon Christ. Christ is our focus. And because, uh, Christ is our focus because we focus on the Word of God and the Word of God reveals Christ. I'll be reading in John chapter thirteen verse, beginning in verse eighteen. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones who I have chosen, but it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats, eats my bread and has lifted. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before, because uh, before it comes to pass. So that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say unto you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to to know of who of which one he was speaking there was one there was reclining at the table or reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved so Simon Peter gestured to him and said tell us who is who it is whom he is uh, of whom he is speaking and he leaned back thus on Jesus' bosom and said to him lord who is it and jesus then answered that is the one for which for whom i shall dip the morsel and give it to him so when he had dipped the morsel he took and give give it to judas the son of simon iskariot after the morsel si- satan then entered into him therefore jesus said to him what you do do quickly now no one of those reclining at the table knew it was or knew for what purpose he had said this to him for some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him buy the things we need for the pas- for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor so after re- receiving the morsel he went out immediately And it was night. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for every part of Your Word because it all speaks to our life. It it all addresses needs that we have, spiritual or physical. It, It all points to You. It all points to Christ. And it is a guidance to our life. Some are promises that we enjoy. Some are instruction; give us instruction and in learning. Some are warnings. Some are scary to look at. Some are some are particularly frightening when we when we look at the picture that's being painted for us. And Lord, as that is in this passage today as we look at this we we realize how vulnerable we are and lord we thank you for being a great god thank you for being good as we have prayed earlier you are a good god now lord as we look at your word Help us to respond appropriately. Help us to respond in obedience with a a cheerful, glad heart to to obey what you have for us. We pray that you would bless our time together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the central theme of this passage is betrayal. And the betrayer. That would be Judas. Now, Betrayal in any ministry is, is devastating. It's, it's hard on those closest to well the inner circle. It's, uh, it's damaging to the ministry. It's damaging uh, to the reputation uh, in the community. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just hurtful. It's, it's not a good thing in any ministry. Early on in, in Billy Graham's ministry... Uh, there was one who, who just left one of the men, and it was it was hard on those closest in his uh, closest uh, with that team because they were a close knit team, close knit group of men, and one just walked away from the faith, and it was devastating to the rest. And they um, put some things in place uh, in their ministry, even even presidents. Uh, they know they have a, a close-knit uh, circle that uh, of confidence. That they, they people that they know that they can trust. Uh, those within their cabinet, those with uh, that uh, within the daily functions of the of of what they do of their administration. And there's a story told of uh, uh, one uh, Scott McClellan in the uh, George Bush administration. And he was one of the the insiders he was one of the close knit circle, the tight group and he just walks away and he writes a book and it was very damaging to the bush presidency and the book was called what happened so you, so everybody wanted to read what's the secrets what's going on behind the scenes and everybody kind of piles on and and there's there's uh, mystery and secrecy and, and and it's uh it's devastating to a Administration, like a presidency, but uh, George Bush responded in this way. He said, "Every president knows that uh, that that's going to happen. That someone in that close knit circle of friends is going to go out and write the book." And he emphasized forgiveness. And he um, he said that that history will bear these things out. And he he's come out publicly and said those things, and and seems to be handling. Uh, it in a good way, but it's devastating when there's betrayal with close friends. It's hurtful. It's devastating. And it could have been devastating to these disciples. Um, in fact, the early church, they they hated Judas for this. There's so many stories about Judas and they don't portray him in a, in a very good light. And, and it's, it's um, very hard, of them, hard on him. And many of the stories uh, we don't know that we can trust. They're in documents that we, we don't uh, put in our scripture. Um, but uh, the early church was very hard on Judas. In fact, all of the other uh, disciples were as well, the ones that wrote uh, scripture they they'll they'll lay out his full name as it's as a disgrace to him, and to any of his offspring. There's another element here. There, there's just a backdrop of of things that we want to see, and the first thing is just betrayal. But there's another element here. There's a there's a scary element. There's an element of danger here. When I was uh, uh, young, when I was in my early twenties, I took a. Um, a mine safety class. They, you had to take that before you go underground. And uh, and in that class, they would show us pictures, pretty gruesome pictures of accidents. Things that happen in the mines and, and things that you just don't even want to describe. And they would tell us stories of what happened in this situation. And they did those things to strike fear within our hearts. As a warning of uh, that, that you better adhere to the safety codes. And it would... You see those pictures, you would think, man, I don't want that to happen to me. And in the spiritual realm, the the hardest thing, or, or the most scary thing in the spiritual realm, is apostasy. It should strike fear in all of our hearts. Just the fact that people can look at the Word of God, they can, they can be in the midst of Christ and see all of His miracles, hear all of His teaching, and then turn and just completely walk away. That's amazing. And, and it should be a little frightening as well. Not just a little, but it should sober us up very well. G- Judas just walked away. Now we see little glimpses of this kind of thing in in the old and the new testament and um, and it 's a little chilling when you when you see it uh, even we've been talking about israel and israel 's reject rejection of christ it's a it 's a little fearful how can they do that and and uh, we see that they're just they're blinded by their own sinfulness but there's uh one man that Paul mentions in the New Testament in 2 Timothy, and uh, he mentions Demas, and he says this about Demas Demas, having loved this present world, has departed, has departed from me and gone to Thessalonica. That's scary. Because I think, could that happen to me? What if that happens to me? And in the spiritual realm, you know, that's the most devastating thing that could happen. Jesus even said, what if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Your soul is at stake here. Eternity is at stake. There's another fearful element here, and that's the element of Satan. Satan. Satan is in their midst and and uh, I'm just reminded of this uh the passion movie where you see Satan kind of in the crowd every once in a while you'll see his face and you'll you recognize that and you'll know that it's him and you just know that he's always watching and it's a little. Um, uh, he's always lurking around and it's a little eerie and a little scary. So in this passage, we have an opportunity to uncover some of the darkest of sins, the sin of the sin of apostasy. Those who have have seen the truth have been involved in the the loving and gracious environment of Christ and his ministry and the church. And they just are able to turn around and walk away. It's just makes us ask the question, could we do that? Could I do that? What is my heart like? What's going to keep me from doing that? There's one other element here, just kind of as a backdrop to this as we get into this passage. And that's the element of Christ's love. You, you see that. And it was introduced at the beginning of chapter 13. It says He loved them to the very end. He loved His disciples. And His love is protecting them and 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 taking care of them and giving them stability and comfort in this particular time and so you see this picture this scary picture but it's enveloped in god's uh, in christ's love and it's that's the the foundation of all of this it's the underpinning of all of this is that that christ loved them and they are being protected by christ and uh that's so because these disciples are important to Christ. They're important to Him. He loves them. He's willing to give Himself up for them, and He's loving them in a tangible way. Now, what we've seen is that this is the Last Supper. Jesus is, um, Jesus had washed their feet. They had failed to do that. Jesus comes in, He washes their feet, and, um, He shows, he demonstrates uh, loving humility of serving them. And he makes the point, look, you will have a high position, but you need to stoop down and you need to love in a very tangible, physical way. And not standing upon your own dignity, aloft from everyone else. But it, but, and so that infused into the Christian community this, this humble, loving service to one another, no matter what position one holds. Now, in doing that, Jesus mentioned, if you look back, Jesus mentioned that one of them is not clean. And he's referring to, he's referring to Judas. Jesus knew the heart of Judas. And, and he, he had known it all along that this was the man that was going to betray him. Yet he did not treat Judas any differently than the others. In fact, there was, everybody's looking around. Is it me? Is it me? I, am I going to do that? Who is it? They didn't automatically look at Judas. Yeah, I knew it was from him all along. It wasn't like that at all. Jesus had not singled him out before. He had treated him the same as all of the other disciples. I believe that he really is not necessarily exposing Judas directly here. He's not trying to put uh, put Judas up, but but he is instituting the Lord's Supper here. He's moving from the old covenant to the new covenant in his blood, and he is going to be that sacrifice. And so he is instituting now the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, and he doesn't want Judas present. He doesn't want Satan's. Uh, influence or Satan's presence to to mar this Lord's Supper, this special time with his disciples. And I think he's putting a little pressure on Judas to go out, do what you you've already committed your heart to doing. So he's pushing Judas a little bit. It's not necessarily exposing. I think he does expose him to uh, to John. Now, here's what I want you to see. Believers must be warned about Apostasy. We must be warned. In fact, we need to remember. We need to be warned on a regular basis. We must be warned about apostasy. Those who just completely turn their back have seen the the truth. have, Have been involved with the grace of God in His church and then walked away. But... We must see that, we must be warned by that, but also encouraged by the sovereign hand of God and His grace in our life. You see both in this passage. God's complete control, His sovereign hand at work in this passage. But yet, it's a little fearful when we look at this. I'll say it this way. If if we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation. The only thing that keeps us from losing our salvation is our sovereign God and his hand upon our lives. So the question we'll ask today is how can we as Christians, how can we avoid, how can we avoid some of these same steps that that uh, of apostasy that Judas took? It was a it was a gradual thing, but he was going in that direction, and he took some definite steps. And this passage, I think, gives us the heart of uh, a glimpse into the heart of an apostate. And there's some principles in here. In fact, there's I think there's just three key elements here that, as we move through this passage, I think we'll see that are are going to be important. I think that will help us to not go down that road of apostasy. First of all, let's look at uh, verse 18. Here's what we see. Jesus protected those or protects those who truly love him by, by strengthening their faith. By strengthening their faith. That's what you see in verse 18. I, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones whom I have chosen, or the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's, that's the thread. He's put your, your, uh, your foot on the enemy's neck and ready to, to, to defeat him. From now on, I am telling you before, because, or before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe. So I'm telling you beforehand now, I'm telling you some of these things, some of these predictions that were made in the Old Testament, these prophecies made in the Old Testament, So that I'm telling you beforehand, so that your faith may be strengthened, so that you may believe that I am He, it says. But there's no He in the Greek. It's just that I am. And again, a claim to deity. And He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say unto you, He who receives... Whomever I send receives me, and who receives me receives him who sent me. He's just again referring to how important these disciples are, how important his ministry, this ministry is to him. But here's what I want you to see: There's no Jesus is no victim here. He is not a victim of circumstance. He is not a victim of Judas, and and under Judas's, uh, you know, Judas isn't betraying anyone really. He is under God's control. He is no victim of Satan. He is no victim of the Jews. He's no victim of the Romans. He's not a victim of mankind at all. These things were predicted in the Old Testament, and they will come to pass. It is all under God's plan, under His purpose. And Jesus then is protecting them by telling them ahead of time, here's what's going to happen. So that when they see it, they say, yes, Jesus said that. He must be in control of these things. And Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, Psalm 41, verse 9. And the circumstance there, we won't take the time to look it up, but the circumstance there was David's enemies were against him. Now, that's a hard thing when your enemies, when those who you, you consider your friends and those who are close to you, turn against you. That's a hard thing. And we've all had that happen probably to us. If you've lived long enough. Those uh, you may have gone through a divorce. That would be to me. That would be one of the the hardest things to go through. Someone that you consider so tight, so close, is you, you're 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 you've united in matrimony, and then some that person turn turn on you. It's devastating. That's harsh. Maybe maybe you've had a family member to just walk away and then turn. They're back upon you. Uh, to the point you can't trust them anymore. Maybe people at work. And so we all understand. We all understand this concept. This idea and how hurtful it's going to be. And, so, uh, and it, how it could shake the faith in this circumstance. How it would shake the faith of these disciples. And so Jesus needs to protect them. He, he protects them. Now, that becomes very important. I want you to understand that. Turn over to John chapter 17. Jesus is protecting them. He is protecting them actively. It's not one of those things, well, I'll save you, but you're going to have to keep yourself. And I'm just going to do hands off and you just do what you want to. No, Jesus is actively protecting them. John chapter 17 verse 11 says... I am no longer in the world now. Jesus is praying to his Father. He knows that he's going back to the Father, and he says, "And yet they themselves are in the world." He's talking about those disciples that he's lived with for three years. And I come, um, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them. While Jesus is hanging on that cross, he's he's entrusting these precious ones to the Father, and he says, "Keep them." The name which you have given me that. They may be one even as we are. While I have, while I was with them, I, I was keeping them. And that's a very active word. He was actively keeping them. He was strengthening their faith. He was challenging their faith. And we, we remember stories of him challenging their faith. And he's, and he's pushing them to be, to exercise stronger and stronger faith. And, and he was keeping them, but it was through that faith. And you see the same thing if you, in First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. You, you see that, that God is not... Uh, Jesus Christ is very active in His church and He's not passive. He is protecting us through our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope. That's a hope that will not die. That's a, that's a faith that just won't give up. He gives us that faith. And then he goes on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. So we have that that hope that will just drive us to obtain that inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, which will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. It's through that faith. So God takes you through difficult times to strengthen your faith and ultimately that protects you. It protects you. And then it goes on in verse seven, so that the proof of your faith is more precious than gold. It's that saving kind of faith that you have. Then you look at that and you say, yes, I'm a changed person. And that's the kind of faith that protects. So Jesus is very active in their life and, and He's telling them ahead of time so that they can see that and and not be shaken when when all of this transpires. Now, just the question that I would have is why would Jesus allow apostasy in His church? Why would He allow that? It just doesn't... You know, why doesn't He just get rid of... of Judas, right at the beginning, he has a purpose for Judas. He has Judas fits right into his plan. He has a purpose and plan for Judas. But that does not mean that Judas was some kind of robot. Turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, this is a perfect example of God's sovereign hand at work in your life, in my life. And yet, God's or man's full responsibility for what we do. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, the son of man says is to go. He's gonna to go to that cross. He's gonna be put on that cross. He is going to, he's gonna die for the sins of the world. It's part of God's plan. It's part of His sovereign act of, uh, of saving mankind. Just as, is, as just as it is written. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He's gonna go, he's gonna to go to that cross, but those involved, and the, the particularly uh, Judas says, woe to that man. That man is still under the responsibility, or, or will be accountable to God for every decision that, that he makes. And he goes on, specifically mentions Judas. But he says, verse 24, he says, um, it would be good for that man that he had never even been born. So we see that Judas is fully responsible, yet God has incorporated into his purpose, into his plan, uh, Judas's recklessness. Judas's sinfulness. It was all part of God's plan. And you, you, you know what? That's an amazing God to me. That Judas, he's just simply doing what he wants to do. And yet... He's within God's plan. Satan would be the same situation. Jude, Satan is just doing what he's wanting to do. He is hating God. He is, he is the enemy of God. And yet, at every turn, he's under the hand of God. And everything that he tries, it's turned around. And it's always to God's good and for His glory. And he's fooled every time. Now... Something that I, just reading in some of the commentaries, I didn't realize this. I hadn't thought through this. One of the purposes, I think, of Judas was the fact that he was the, he was the perfect witness. I mean, he was an insider. He knew the life of Christ. He knew the ins and outs. He knew what he did on a daily basis. And he could witness. He can give witness to, to anyone. And here's what he says. After he, done, after he betrayed Christ, he says, I have betrayed what? Innocent blood. This man was innocent. He tried to give the money back, and they wouldn't take it back. He says, i betrayed innocent blood. That's a testimony to Christ. He was an insider. He knew. And he's saying, look, there's nothing wrong. I can find no sin in, in his life. He betrayed innocent blood. Christ had structured Judas's sinful heart, his sinful attitude, and his sinful actions. He had, and he had incorporated into his plan. Now, how does that happen? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I'm not God. I can't figure this out. But, but man's will was not violated. He uh, he was doing what he was wanting to do, but yet it was perfect perfectly fitting in God's plan. God uses the unrighteousness of man to fulfill his purpose. That's what we can conclude. Now, how do we respond to this? What do we, how do we apply this little point here? We have a, a big God. And, and as children, as my kids, uh, when they're little, you know, they would run to daddy for safety, for protection. And daddy was big and, and I would protect them. And, and that's a good thing. But this is more than just that. We just run to God for, for protection because He's big. But there's more than, to it than that. What you see here is a demonstration of His active role in protecting us. As as I got older, as, as kids get older, they see that, uh, yeah, Dad's not just big. I mean, He can protect me. It, it, because they see it. Because he's, he's there and He protects them in, in small little ways as they go along. And He's active in, in every stage of that. So our as far as applications, we, we trust God. He is protecting us. Satan is all around. He's always going to be lurking. And God is going to be protecting us. If we have put our faith and trust in Him, He will protect us. Jesus is active in keeping us. I love that thought. He is not passive. There's real dangers out there. And there's a picture here of danger. And there should be warning, uh, uh, warning lights that go off. And we examine ourselves. But yet we know that Christ is the one who is protecting us. Even though it's a sobering moment. Even though it's not for the faint hearted. It, it is, And it is sobering to us. We can run to God. He is actively protecting. He is always bolstering our faith he is always strengthening our faith so that we are protected through that faith god is a sovereign god we did nothing frankly we did nothing to gain our salvation we can do nothing to keep it it's all in god's hands anyway let's move on verse 21 here's what happens god's loving kindness either hardens or softens a heart this is another principle that we need to learn when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. Now again, he's, he's been troubled in spirit several times and it reflects his humanity. He was fully man. And he's around these men that he loves and yet he knows that one of them is being going to be filled by Satan at any moment. And he becomes troubled in his spirit. And he says, truly, truly, I know that one of you will betray me. And the disciples were looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' breast. Now, you have to understand the way they were sitting. There's uh, these tables that they would have. They would be reclining at the table and be kind of laying back. And um, they would, these tables would be in a used shape and at the at the elbow at the at the uh, end of that u-shaped table they would be laying down uh, reclining probably leaning on their elbow christ would would be at the head of that table and um and john the apostle john was reclining right beside him and all he had to do is is look back so there's one reclining at the table with him um and in at his bosom, so right, right at his chest area. And uh, verse twenty-four. So Simon Peter uh, glanced over. He gestured to uh, to John. They were close friends, and he says, "Tell us who it is. Who's he talking about?" And he leaned back on Jesus's breast. And Jesus said, "Now you know, again, this is an intimate moment between Jesus and John." And he says, "Who is it, Lord?" He says, "Well, it's the one." To whom I dip the the morsel, and he says, the one who I dip the morsel in, and I give that to him. That's that's the one. Now in this day, if you would have uh, you, would, if you would have been served first, um, you would have dipped the morsel and given it to you. That would have been a place of honor. That would have been a, something special for you. And that's exactly what he did with Judas Iscariot. Now, this, there would have been a little bowl in the center there. There would have been, uh, there would have been some, uh, fruits crushed up, some vinegar, some herbs, some salt, and, and water mixed together. And they would have just taken this, this pita bread is what we would call it today, this unleavened bread, and they would tear it off, and they would dip it in there, and he would give it to Judas. And that was a place of honor. If he gave it to you first, that was a, that was a good thing. I think he was appealing appealing one last appeal to Judas, one last act of kindness to Judas, and then something happens in that moment and he gives it to Judas and and it was a special thing it was a special act of kindness and, and Judas, I don't know what happened in his heart. he says he took it and gave it to Judas, son of Iscariot or Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, right after that, Satan entered into his heart. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. What you do, do quickly. At that point, something happened. There was a knowing glance that he knew Jesus knew. I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened there. But something happened with Judas's heart. And he had crossed that line. He had crossed that line of which there is no return. It's called apostasy, and we see that in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6. And, and once you cross that line, once your heart has been so hardened, you just will not receive Eternal life, you will not receive christ and and something happened that just hardened his heart i i don 't know if he was convicted of his own sin and he just hardened his heart or if his kindness of God just hardened his heart, but his heart, heart was not softened at, softened at this this event. it was hardened now don 't get the idea that that he is just some kind of innocent victim that Satan just come down and, and just entered him and and man. Uh, you know, it just kind of took over his life. You, you kind of, we can think like that sometimes. I used to watch Wild Kingdom when I was a little boy. And you would see the, the big lion chasing after the gazelle. And you'd feel sorry for the gazelle. And the lion would come up and kill the gazelle. And That's not the way this is. Satan entered a heart of a willing participant. They had the same goals. They were going the same direction. He was, he had the same purpose. In fact, Judas wanted to kill this man. He hated him, hated him enough to turn him over to be killed. Now just think about that. What kind of heart that is to, to have seen Christ do these miracles and hear his teaching, his teaching about, about greed. His teaching about not serving two masters. You will either love the one or hate the other. He saw all of these miracles. And yet, he just turned. His heart grew harder and harder. But yet, Jesus treated them in the same way. Jesus was kind to him. Instead of softening his heart, it hardened his heart. How do we apply this? What can we do with this? I, I think... You know, just with my own heart, just thinking through this, I, I pursue righteousness. I don't want any little sin in my heart that would that would cause me to to harden against God's kindness and God's graciousness. Another element is just we need to hate sin. We we don't get comfortable with a lion. And sin is, is devastating. It's it's hurtful. It will it will kill you. Yet, I think we just get comfortable with it. And, and I think that's what Judas did. He just got comfortable with his own greed. And that's where he le- lived. And he, he just continued to pursue that pet sin. Now, how do you identify an apostate? How do you identify someone that's just going to walk away? If we look at... Uh, Jesus' teaching, we find that we really can't. Jesus did, uh, he taught a, um, a parable of the man who went out and sold, uh, sowed, uh, uh, wheat into a, in a field and, and he was, uh, while he was asleep, his enemies came in and sowed tares. And the servants came and says, what should we do? We, we uh, uh, You know, our enemies it, it grew up and they begin to realize, ah, oh, these are tares, this is not wheat. And should we cut them down? And he says, no, don't cut them down, let them grow together. We'll cut them down later. And it's just a parable of the church, the kingdom of God. That even within the church, there's going to be tares. There's going to be hypocrites, even within our church. And I hate that. I, it." it It hurts me to say that even within Daniel's Bible church, there's going to be those who are hypocrites who could turn away and walk away at a moment's notice. Turn their back upon Christ. Who could betray Him. And if I knew who that was, I I would go and I would plead with them and confront them. But we, we don't know. Only God knows. Only God knows those things. And I think that's what's the scary part for me i just asked the question is it me lord could i ever do that is my heart that weak is my faith that weak that i could just walk away and it's a good question to ask sometime is it me we're told uh, by peter by paul to examine our own life what is what is your desires what do you really want judas when it all came down to it he was just greedy he was involved in Christ's ministry for what he could get out of it. And that's the way I think sometimes we are in the church. Just, what is it for me? We, sometimes I think we just need to ask the question, and this is a tough question. Am I following because my desires? Because I want to follow Christ? It's a desire of my heart to follow Christ? Or is, am I just following for some kind of gain? Is it some kind of gain? Judas was just, he was in it for what he could get out. When it it stopped, when it looked like Jesus was going to the cross, he's just going to, I'm just going to get some money out of it and I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be away from this ministry. He was just pursuing his own desires there. We have to be very careful in examining our own hearts, our own lives. And we must hate sin and not become comfortable with it. Let me give you one more and we'll close this leaving Christ is an illustration of a pre-existing spiritual reality. he's not leaving Christ it says that he went out and it was night and that's a it's a scary thing men and women did not go out at night during this this time it's not something that you did it was not a, a smart thing to do but he went out at night but it was an illustration. Of what had already happened in his life. Uh, In his heart. He had already abandoned Christ. At some point. Apostates will always. Leave. They will cut themselves off to. Christ. Let me show you one verse. In Hebrews chapter 3. And this this is a verse that was read to us earlier. But we'll close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 3. In verse 12. says this take care brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil that's this root of evil this this evil this sin that has taken root and that is growing and is developing as it was in Judas's life unbelieving heart this evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living god just take care Take care of that. Make sure that there's none of you like this that fall into this category. But encourage one another day after day as long as you it is still called day. As long as there's still hope. So that none of you will, will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I believe here's what happened. Judas, I think that last bit of hardening of heart came when he was confronted by Jesus that last time, and his heart just just hardened, and he just he could not take it anymore, and he was he was gone. He left. He, he left, encouraged by Jesus to leave. Satan entered his heart. There was nothing good there. His heart was ready. His heart was open. He, he could have never. Uh, Satan could have never entered Judas's heart except Judas allowed him. Sin hardens. Sin hardens our heart. Even the smallest sin can take root and grow and become uh, so big in our life that our hearts just are hardened. First uh, John 2.19 uh, John reminds us of those who went out from us because they were not really of us. In the Old Testament, we saw people go out because they were following other gods. In the New Testament, the parables, Jesus was talking to... Uh, sharing the parable of uh, the sower. And some of the seed fell on thorny ground. And Satan come, The birds came and stole the seed away. Satan would come and steal the Word of God away. And people would leave. Sometimes the cares of life would crop up and, and choke out that heart. Why do people leave? Various reasons. In John chapter 15, those people were disturbing the church. And sometimes in John 15, we see that, John, uh, that God, God will prune the church and get those people out. Sometimes He will do that. Sometimes false apostles, they begin to teach and they expose themselves. And, and elders are to, to rebuke them and get them out of the church. I will read one more verse though. Second Peter Second Peter chapter two verse twenty says this: For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, so they they come in to the church, away from the world, they've escaped the world. They come into this loving, gracious environment by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They they're again entangled in them and are overcome the last state becomes worse than the first if they've come in out of the world but yet they they go back into that world and are entangled having known the truth it's even worse for them but it would be better for them not to have been uh, not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it to turn away From the holy commandment handed on to them. It's better not to even know that. It's better to, when you come in, not to go back out. The last circumstance is worse than the first one. Again, it's just a a warning to all of us. It's a warning to all of us. So just quickly, how do we respond to this? What, What do we do? How do we avoid this? How do I avoid apostasy? Number one, we have to just be aware. Be warned. Be warned of the dangers out there. We need to see dangers. It's good for us to look at these pictures every once in a while. To strike fear in our heart and say, Lord, may that never happen to me. And then we just confess our sin on a daily basis. We remain soft to the Lord. And then we we pursue our relationship with God. We, we know God and we know His Word. And we grow in that. So our faith is strong. We pursue righteousness. But then just the final element, we just trust our God. He is actively involved in keeping us. That's, that's what we do. We just do what we're already doing. As a believer, those are things that we should be doing anyway. And God keeps us. We could see these scary pictures and and they they should scare us, but yet we know we have a sovereign God. Believers must be warned about apostasy, but also encouraged by the sovereign hand of God and His grace upon our lives. Just a couple of other lessons that I've just learned from. Look at the lost opportunity with Judas. Judas. I mean, he, he he was an insider, and he just lost that opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. There is also the deadliness of hypocrisy, or the idea of we learned that God will never be thwarted. Is it? He will. He we can trust Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Father. We just thank you, Lord. As we have moved through this passage and seen this picture, that that you are a, a God who is in control. There is nothing that would shake us, Lord, that would shake our faith to the point of just abandoning you. Lord, we thank you for being that kind of God. But Lord, help us to help us to examine ourselves and know. Lord, help us to have the joy of security, of salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.